In a world of bus schedules and business calls, sidestep into a realm of koi gear, casting, and kunai's. Okay, people, get your geek on. Everybody, it's August 19th, 2011, and you're listening to Podcast 7 of Knit One Geek 2. I'm Karen. And I'm Maggie. And we're coming to you from the hall at Helm's Deep, where we are arming our tough chick shield maidens with cupcakes and preparing for battle. Take that, bitches. <laughs> A little more explanation on that later, because, oh, this is going to be an interesting discussion. Oh, Helm's Deep. Okay. <laughs> but first, Adventures in Knitting. Okay, yes. Good stuff first. I have been working on the Celtic stall. I've been good. I've got a small quota that I do every night, and I've kept to it. And uh, I'm actually now into the second pattern repeat. Not quite midway, but I'm into the second pattern repeat. I actually showed it to people yesterday. Yep, I have seen it. There is proof. Yep. The other thing, my quilt, well not my quilt, but the quilt that I'm making, is on the frame. And it's got actual stitches in it. Yay! And Karen's actually seen it. (laughs) I'm not making this shit up. Yeah, there's going to be four-letter words swinging all all different ways, so just make sure there are no little ears around, okay? That That's all the warning you're going to get tonight. Dude, we've been putting the explicit tag on this thing for weeks. This is why. Okay, well, <laughs> my issue right now is that I have two projects of epic doom going on. Mm-hmm. I have a lace stole, and I've got a quilt. And I want them both done before the end of the year. And I don't have enough NyQuil at the moment, to facilitate knitting with my toes. Because trust me, if I could do that, you know, life would get really significantly easier a little. Yeah, earlier tonight I joked about Maggie going on a four-month NyQuil bender trying to get this stuff done, and she just looked at me. I could see somewhere in her head there was part of her that was actually considering it. The thought has occurred to me. I really, so you need mindless knitting. I do. I want mindless knitting, knitting so bad, and that's what I want to get those that mad the magic loop needles for. Okay. That's what I'm, I'm desperate for. Somebody asked us uh, a little while ago in the Ravelry thread, what would we like to knit? <laughs> and right now, I would really like to do something that's a little bit on the edge of mindless. Uh, something that I could sit down in front of the TV or sit down and look at a person and have a conversation with them without having to be reading three charts at the same time. Yeah. My personal project that I'm going to make for myself once all my Christmas stuff is done is the Koigu linen stitch scarf that's uh, by Church Mouse Yarns and Tees. It's a scarf that's been out for a little while, and I've seen it in all different kinds of colors, and it's it's a cute little, you know, easy knit. And Karen was there and helped me pick out the yarn at the last, uh, what was the Toronto uh, Fiber the Frolic? The Knitter Frolic that we went to, because... Yeah. Downtown Knit Collective, which is sort of the Toronto Knitting Guild. Right. Every year they have a big show with tons of vendors. It's called the Knitter's Frolic. And there was a wall of Koigu there. Oh, yes. And basically, when I have a wall of color, I just sort of stare at it. And I don't do a lot of else. I just stare at it and think pretty things. Yeah, I think it was Shall We Knit. Yeah. Which is, I don't know exactly where they are. I think they're in New Hamburg. I have their business I know they're still. around. they're around the Kitchener-Waterloo sort of area. And they had a huge wallow koigu. Yeah, it was a pretty thing to look at. 
So you know what, if I could right now, if I could take a little time bubble just for myself and knit something, it would be that. If you had a time turner? Yeah. So you could turn it back and have like maybe one or two extra hours just to work on something for yourself oh, each day? Oh, dude, if anybody out there knows how to make one of those, I, I don't know, I'll I'll trade you my son. I, I think I'd probably get the better deal. Out I was going to say, who'd be getting the better deal out of that one? I think it'd be you. Yeah, I don't think you'd want him. <laughs> anyway. Speaking of which, my son, who's all of four years old, he came over and asked me what I was doing while I was in the process of quilting, and I told him I was making a blanket. Making a blanket? And I said, yes, for Uncle Stephen and Auntie Sarah. For them? Yes. Hurry up and finish! <laughs> and I'm looking down at, at this quilt where, you know, I've, I've barely gotten, you know, a single square done, and I'm like, oh boy, kid, <laughs> you and I are going to have to have a talk. <laughs> there is no hurry up and finish with, like, a monstrous quilt. No. Not when I'm hand quilting it, no. So now, wh what about you? I have been working on, well, I haven't been working very much on the Viper Pilots. Or this just because I just... The Starbucks anti-authority socks? Yeah. I might just have to leave them until the end of the summer because I just don't have the brain power right now. Between work, which is crazy, and getting home, and then just wanting to stare at the TV all night or just read romance novels all night because my brain just is not working. I just don't think I can do them right now. Hey, I'm, I'm right there behind you. Yeah. I should have known better, really, than to try and do <laughs> something like that during the summer because people usually think of libraries as quiet places. Obviously, they have never been at a library around the time a program lets out in the summer. Partly because the kids are not in school and people are on vacation. The rest of the year, there's a certain rhythm to right. the day. Like, you know, certain times of day are going to be really busy and other times are going to be quiet. In the summer, that just goes all to hell. Well, that's a so. nice thought that the libraries are being used. Yeah, and I mean, it's really, it's really nice that, obviously, it's really nice that we are busy and that we are being used even during the summer and that sort of thing. It's just that it really makes for, like, my brain just not being there. It makes for brain suckage. Yeah, my brain just gets sucked out of my head. So, instead, I have started another project. I hope you people back there are keeping count of how many projects you started <laughs> since we have just started this podcast. I've finished a couple. So, instead, I'm just doing a pair of socks. I'm basically just sort of making it up as I go along. Is this Blue Moon? Nope. This is my yarn. Oh, this is yarn that you got. This is the stuff that I mentioned a few weeks ago where I forgot to put the vinegar oh. in the dye. Oh, which is why in this one there's quite a few purple spots yeah. because basically the yarn is black, red, and blue, or at least right. that's how I had intended it to be. It's now black, red, blue, and purple because there are certain spots where in the middle of the red and blue because, really because the vinegar wasn't there to hold it to the yarn where I put it, it bled into each other. There's one spot on the skein where one blue patch that's right next to a red patch has just completely disappeared into purple because the red just bled right into it. But it looks pretty nice. And I'm quite happy with the way the spacing turned out because... Yeah, it is pretty cool. It makes these little patches of sort of very thin bands of color, but it doesn't really stripe, it doesn't really pool, it doesn't really spiral. They're a little bit like tigger stripes. Yeah, they're a bit like tiger stripes, actually, now that I think about it. But yeah, so I'm just doing a twisted stitch cable from the books that I mentioned last week up each side of the sock, and then in the middle, on the top of the sock, there's plain stockinette, and of course on the bottom, there's yep. plain stockinette. And I'm doing a, a toe-up gusset and flap heel. Now, are these your new, new needles? Yeah, these are the new Chowgu needles. I will link the name on the show notes. It's C-H-I-A-G-O-O. -O. The point seems elongated. 
Yeah, these are these are actually their new lace needles. They've had the regular kind for a while. They're the ones with red cords, and the cord is actually like a metal cable, yeah, a twisted cable inside. inside a plastic casing. Yeah. So they're quite strong. I got a pair of their regular ones, which have slightly bent needles, mm-hmm. which is supposedly kind of helps when you're holding on to them. And they have not terribly sharp, but not too bad tips. They're a lot sharp. They're a bit sharper than some other brands like Susan Bates and some of the other sort of cheaper brands. Yeah. Um, but now they have come out with lace needles, which don't have the bend in the needle tip. And then the, the points are much sharper. And I ordered these a few weeks ago because I wanted to see what they were like. And because I wanted to replace the needle that my cat chewed. Because it was one of the Chowgu regular needles that was 3.5 millimeters that I got at Stitch at their Boxing Day sale. The peanut chewed two weeks after I bought it. So how is it sliding along the joint? Is it pretty smooth? It's really nice and smooth. It's quite nice. I got two in the 2.25 millimeter Mm -hmm. size. And I got one in the 3.5 millimeter size, like I said, to replace the one. And I haven't tried that one yet. I'll have to see how the join is on the lace, the one I got for lace with lace weight. Because sometimes lace weight can be very picky. How's your Bayerish socks? I pulled those out. Oh. <laughs> and I'm doing these instead. That's right, because you weren't happy with the center media. Yeah. And I have patterns from my Twisted Stitch pattern books for what I would like to do instead of that one. But when I pulled it out and I was going to start over, I thought, wait a minute, I've been wanting to, I've been thinking of using the yarn that I dyed for a little while. Right. Instead of doing the bearish socks or the, the alternate to them, maybe I should do something with the yarn I dyed so I can see what it looks like. Because I wanted to see how it would pattern. Right. Because I'm still very new at the dyeing yarn thing, so I didn't know how if I put stripes of like five inches or spaces of color that are like five inches long, you know, will that be pooling or swirling or right? how it will turn out. And of course it depends on how many stitches you have, what size needles you're using, what your tension is, but in general. But I quite like it so far. It is very pretty. And I... And then, you know, people were asking about, on the Ravelry group, like you were saying, about, you know, what do we want to knit? And I think, yes, I will have to limit this to, what do I want to knit right now? Now. And in future, when we, you know, mention this sort of thing on the podcast, what are the sort of things that I would like to knit right now? Because as I have mentioned before, I have 36 pages of items in my queue, all of which are things I would make at some point, or would like to make at some point. Some of them are higher on the list, some of them are lower on the list, but when you have 36 pages, pages. that's over a thousand items, I think, on your queue, Dude. even limiting to the stuff that I am desperate to make, it's going to be a very long list. So, the stuff that I want to knit, I've been wanting to do this for the last week. I've sort of had this, or well, for the last few weeks, I've been having an itch to do color work. If anyone has friended me on Ravelry, (laughs) there was a time a couple weeks ago where I did one of those crazy go through Ravelry, select all the things that I want in the advanced pattern browser, and then queue like mad all the projects that fit the new projects. Um, someone might have noticed I went on a mitten binge a few weeks ago. And I've someone wanting... might have said it to, you know, the world. <laughs> someone may have said, why are you just adding all these mittens? <laughs> but the last couple days, I've kind of been like, I maybe kind of want to do a Fair Isle sweater. Which is so unlike me, because I very rarely have done color work. 
I think what happened is that because I took your crack, you took my NyQuil. Yeah, that must have been it. And then today, I got the newest Knit Picks catalog, catalog, which has a pretty fair oil sweater right on the cover. And that's when the NyQuil really kicked in. Because then I went on Ravelry and searched for Farrell sweater patterns, or in some cases Norwegian sweater patterns, which come in my size. Because I've mentioned before I'm a plus size, and unfortunately, or fortunately, I'm not entirely sure which... The Knit Picks sweater comes as a kit, but the pattern doesn't go quite big enough, especially when it says you're supposed to wear it with like two to four inches of ease, I think it is. I could maybe upsize it. There are certain parts of upsizing it that wouldn't be too hard, but then it's also work. Yeah. And I don't know, for like my very first Fair Isle sweater, I don't know if I want to like try and fiddle with anything. So I went on Ravelry and went looking for Fair Isle sweater patterns that were already of the appropriate of size. The appropriate size. <laughs> and now I kind of want to do Pharaoh's sweater. See, for I don't know why, and maybe this is just my personal style, I really get a kick out of sweaters or shirts that have the baseball raglan sort of sleeves. Mm-hmm. So the sleeves are a different color to the body. Yeah. And when that presents itself, that problem, my mind goes, okay, so what I'll do is I'll make the body, say, a neutral color. Mm-hmm. And I'll put the fair isle on the sleeves, maybe in bands, like varsity bands across the, the arms. That way you're doing some of the fair isle, but by the time you get to the end of the fair isle, you'll be saying, dear God, thank God I didn't have to do this for the whole sweater. Yeah, but you know me. Yeah. I tend to go with the go big or go home sort of stuff. Usually if I'm doing something big, I want to go big. Well, this is why, probably why we're friends, because you you <laughs> saw what I'm working on upstairs. Oh, and you've got it open to the palette. I know, I've got it open to the palette page. But see, the other thing that I'm sort of thinking, too, is like I'm reminding myself that, yes, I'm a plus size. And this is fingering weight yarn. Yeah. That is a hell of a lot of stitches. Yeah. I mean, at the moment, I sort of have, I have a sweater I've kind of been working on off and on when I feel like it in sport weight yarn. And it's a hell of a lot of stitches. And I really should bring it back upstairs and just put it somewhere where it'll be like, okay, I just... Where it'll be visual? Yeah, where it's like, again, like you're doing with the stole and like I've done with other big projects where it's like, okay, do a couple rows each night and eventually it gets done. But I'm sort of thinking, maybe I should finish that one first before (laughs) I decide whether I want to do a fingering weight sweater for me. The only other concern I had was to, because Farrell goes in horizontal bands, Yeah, it's the whole horizontal stripes thing on a wide person sort of problem. I don't know if the motifs would break that up a bit. I have to look on Ravelry and see if there's other big girls like me that have done Farrell sweaters and see how it looks. Right. Whether it just makes things look kind of wider or, you know, I mentioned if the mo- if the little motifs sort of actually work break, up, break it up so it's not like the same as having like horizontal stripes. But I really want to do color work. I know. I really wanted to do color work as well, and that's part of the reason why I started doing the handsome mittens, and There's then actually, I got through one mitten. Actually, one of the sweaters I queued, and which I really kind of want to do, is by the same person really? as the handsome mittens. Okay, this I'll have to see. It's partly because, of course, she also 
you know, pretty much guaranteed that I'd be like, oh, I want to do that because the collars are all in, like, blues and... Teals? I think there's some greens in it, but I think it's mainly, like, <laughs> blues. Maybe a little purple as well. But yes, yeah, so for at the moment, what I really want in it, just in general, is just, like, Fair Isle, color work, something. It's not even, like, a specific pattern you necessarily. You want to knit like... a kaleidoscope. Yes. I want to knit something wild with color. And it probably doesn't hurt that we were looking at all the Alice Starmore stuff last night. The her stuff is kind of like, oh, God, maybe not just yet. That still looks pretty intricate, that one on the front. Yeah. There's but a I, lot I of suppose... smaller... There are a lot of smaller, what they call, peery patterns. I suppose everything Vizestalt looks intimidating and impressive. Mm-hmm. It's still a bunch of knit stitches yeah. is essentially what it is. And I mean, and as our friend Michelle was saying last night when we were discussing the Alice Sturmer stuff, it is only two colors. So you are just looking at the row and there are sort of pattern repeats to it. You know, it is sort of very re- repetitive. Okay. And I have noticed, like, even when I was doing the swirly mittens, which is not a repetitive pattern... <laughs> By any means. If you haven't seen these, oh my god, go to Ravel with they Ravelry so and search pretty. for the swirly mittens. They're they are pretty. gorgeous. It's basically these swirls that the designer drew basically freehand and then colored in the little boxes to make the shape of the swirls on the mittens. But even then, just there was something, there was a certain rhythm to the knitting, even without a repeating pattern, that really you just sort of got caught up in. So, but yeah, if you want to do the swirly mittens, I would definitely recommend those. <laughs> they are not as hard as they look, really. Okay, that's encouraging. Now, as for Geek Squee, we're going to work up to the rage. So let's start off with something that's maybe a five on the pissed off scale. Unfortunately, I didn't really see a lot of, like, fun geeky news this week. No, I didn't either. Which doesn't mean it doesn't exist, I just didn't no. happen to see it. And sometimes Maybe it's just happens. because the end of the summer, the new shows haven't quite started up yet, that sort of thing. But to start off with... There was an article on cinemablend.com where a Disney executive admitted that story doesn't really matter when you're making summer blockbusters. We'll pause here to let everybody let that sink in. Turn it over a couple of times. Okay, and continue. (laughs) Okay, so basically, in this article, Cinema Blend has... Disney Animation Studios Chief Technical Officer Andy Hendrickson said this at a technical conference about making blockbuster tentpole movies is what they call. And he said, and I quote, People say it's all about the story. When you're making tentpole films, bullshit. I wonder what Mickey Mouse would say to that. (laughs) Well, Mickey Mouse might be horrified at the bullshit comment. Yeah. Said that at a conference? Yes. And according to Variety, he went on to admit that really the weaknesses in the story behind Disney's, Disney's recent Alice in Wonderland movie didn't hurt it at the box office. And he said, again, exact quote is, The story isn't very good, but visual spectacle brought people in droves, and Johnny Depp didn't hurt. So apparently, according to this dude, if you're looking to make blockbusters, the story doesn't matter. Just hire Johnny Depp. Yeah. And just have lots of, you know, visual stuff going on or explosions. I just... This is encouraging to future screenwriters how? I don't know. Future anything writers, for that matter. I mean, on the one hand, okay, I'm not sure if that says more about the studios or about the audience. Because if they are, like, successful blockbuster films, people actually paid to go see it. I mean, admittedly, in some cases, too, like in Alice in Wonderland, or in other cases... To some extent, you don't know what the movie's going to be like before you go. Yeah. There's only so much you can learn by reading critical reviews, especially depending on the type of movie, because there are certain movies that seems like critics just love to crap on. 
Yeah. Yeah, in some cases, certain critics just don't like a movie because of its genre, really. Or, you know, maybe it's... It's agen- it has an apparent agenda, or it's selection yeah. of certain actors for certain parts. Any number of things. Yeah, maybe the story isn't extremely, you know, high art, but, you know, it's a fun movie that's well-made. Comic book movies and... All the Marvel one that I One that I'm specifically thinking of is Red, <laughs> which I love. And, you know, I think the story in it is fun. It's just, you know, not the King's Speech. So in cases like that, like, I, you can only know so much about a movie before you go to see it. So, yeah, you see this thing advertised, and the visuals look great, and Johnny Depp's in it, and you know he's a good actor. So, yeah, you go to see it, and then the story sucks. So, in some cases, you don't really know that before you go into the movie. Yeah. Especially in the case of something like Alice in Wonderland, where you kind of know the story already. Yeah. It's a known property. Well, but then... Let's, uh, let me ask you this, and you may not know this off the top of your head. Here you go. Johnny Depp. Uh, visual effects, soundtrack, scenery, etc. Pirates of the Caribbean 4. How did it do? I don't know off the top of my head. I didn't think it did fairly well. I don't think it was terribly... Blockbuster. Yeah, critically acclaimed. So, by some measures, there's a counter to it. Because I'm sure it has all the swash... It has probably explosions and yeah. fighting and Johnny Depp and scenery and special effects, but if it's it's not the some it's not a blockbuster. Yeah, I think it did fairly well. It probably was, and two, it depends. Like, what do you define blockbuster by? I suppose. Like, how big does a movie have to be now to be a blockbuster? Does it just have to get first that opening weekend? Or does it have to get does beyond... Does sustainability in the... Yeah, does it have to have sustainability? Does it have... Does that opening weekend have to do that much better? Does it have to set some kind of record on opening weekend? Which is going to be pretty rare now, thanks to Harry Potter. Was, you know what? <laughs> I was just thinking that. So, you know, okay, yes, Harry Potter has a special effects. Yeah. Harry Potter has scenery. Harry Potter does not have Johnny Depp, but it does have Alan Rickman. And Maggie Smith. And a couple and of... And Michael yeah, Gambon. And, 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 like, every other amazing British actor. But I'm sorry, the one thing Harry Potter does have is plot. And story. It's... And it's, characterization. It's through the entire damn series of the books and the movies. Yeah, which they've succeeded at with varying levels yeah. throughout the movies. Because, of course, there's some that are a little bit better at that than others. Well, there's always going to be a difference, but... Well, this is Disney. This guy should... This is the Disney guy from the Disney Animation Studios. Does this guy still He should be job? looking at Pixar. It's their own damn company, and some of the Pixar movies have the best stories. Does this guy still have a job? Apparently. Oh, boy. One of the things that I love about Pixar is that they have these fun movies, ostensibly kids' movies, which have a really good story to them. Wally. Yeah, you have two. We have the main character doesn't really talk. Yeah, I think I read. There's pretty much no dialogue for the first twenty minutes of the movie. Yeah, it is. I think I read a review somewhere that it's a fantastic movie and it gets so much across. Never mind the fact that the lead character and first few characters it comes into contact with don't talk. Yeah. Apart from a few monosyllabic beeps. Yeah. Or Wally. Yeah. Or look at other Pixar movies like Toy Story. Up. Like how many people up? Oh God. Up. Oh God. <laughs> okay, who did not cry at Up? Who Come did not on. cry? Who did not cry in the first ten minutes of Up? That first ten minutes, I was bawling like crazy. Or Toy Story three, even 
it's the third one in a series, and it still like, touches everyone with that message of, you know, leaving childhood behind. Dude, you, you, go watch some real movies. I don't know what you watch when you go home, but... And I mean... Part of it, too, is, like, if we're talking about summer blockbusters, you know, there is a certain amount that these movies will get because it's summer, kids are out of school, yeah. people are on vacation, people just want to do something fun. They're putting all tons of movies in that, the movie theater. That is a demographic. The The movie theaters know that's, that is the prime time to release. Yeah. And how much of it is going to be because people just want to go to the movies. Yeah. And they look through and they see, oh, okay, well, we'll go to this one. Much less the ones that people, like, know that are coming out and intentionally want to see, like Harry Potter or Captain America. You know, two, I have to, and then I do have to sort of say, like, okay, if people don't go to see some really crappy movies, hint. But I don't know. On the one hand, it's like, if you don't go to see really crappy movies, maybe networks won't make them. But then on the other hand, it's like, you know, sometimes I want to go see a movie where things are going splody. Like, you know, sometimes I want to see a movie like Red, where it's like, okay, things are exploding. It has a story, but it's like fun. Yeah, I, I've, I've said it tonight. I sometimes really like the movies with a healthy, healthy dose of cheese. I just know to bring my yeah. crackers and my wine with me when I go. Yeah. And I'm sorry, I think that there will always be the crappy movies. Yeah. But we could try and remove all of the variables. There will always be death taxes and crappy movies. Yeah. Because they're at some at some level, somewhere in the scheme, there will always be somebody making crappy decisions. And then I think there's a few things in the last few years where movies have succeeded that people didn't expect that maybe should show people that, yeah, people do actually like watching movies that have a really good story. Like, look at all the, the hubbub about the King's Speech. Yes. Last year. It was huge. You know, when, people, when they were talking about it on, like, entertainment news or something like that, and sometimes there seemed to be almost this tone of surprise, too, that, oh my god, the King's Speech is doing really well. What the heck? And it's like, wow, you mean people like movies with a good story and really good acting? No shit! I mean, and in that case, too, part, probably part of it was because it was a very inspiring story, too. Like, there's some movies that are just very serious. And I'm like, eh. I know this is getting all kinds of critic acclaim, but I don't think I want to watch it. <laughs> and then there's some movies that, you know, have a lot of explosions and stuff that I, you know, just be like, yeah, cool, I'll watch this. And, even, and you know what? Though even I have my limits. Okay, true. I'm sorry, there's no way I'm paying nine seventy five to go watch Fast and Furious 87 or what the hell, whatever the hell <laughs> number it was out this summer. Or some of the other ones where, like, you look at the trailer and you go, okay, that is the dumbest story ever. I think when G.I. Joe came out, my comment at the end was, oh my god, I just grew a pair of balls because there was so much testosterone in the air. <laughs> I don't want to come down hard and say, like, oh, well, you know, all of, the, all of this sort of movie or whatever is crap. I don't want to watch it, that sort of thing. But I think there really is a big market for good stories. You think they're underestimating the the mind that's going to the movies these days? It's arguable whether it's underestimating or whether it's just casting the widest net. But is it? Because they try... I, I guess I'm just playing devil's advocate here because every movie has its demographic genre that it's gearing yeah. to. I think they're just trying... I think in some cases they're just okay. trying to, to have the broadest appeal maybe by not... by focusing on other things than story. So you get people who are, you know, maybe not as picky or people who just, again, there's the the factor of, hey, I want to go to the movies tonight. What do you want to see? Because I have seen a lot of bad movies. 
at the movie theater because it's been February. Nothing has come out for four weeks. Yeah. And a friend of mine who has small children and who I can't to get get together with very often says, hey, do you want to go to the movies tonight? And we look and there is like nothing playing at the movie theater that I really want to see. It's just more like, okay, what looks the least... Offensive? Un- unpleasant. <laughs> I will admit this. For this very reason... I saw The Pacifier starring Vin Diesel (laughs) in theaters. I will admit, I paid actual money to see this movie. Mainly, like I said, because I wanted Together with with This Friend and there was like nothing else that was playing that we could possibly go see. If you have not seen this movie... Your life can still go on. Dear God, save yourself. That's two hours of my life I am never getting back. It was trying to be a kindergarten cop sort of thing. I believe Except it, it is nowhere near as funny as kindergarten cop. I've actually seen it, but not in the theater. And then to kick it off, my friend fell asleep halfway through oh, the movie. Oh, joy. And I was like, no, I'm nudging her away because I'm like, no, if I'm sitting here and watching this, you are doing this too. I don't care if you have small children and you're tired. If I have to suffer through this, you are watching it too. But yeah, I know. It's just sort of the sort of thing where I wish, you know, studios would focus more on story, story but I don't think they're just going to start doing it out of the goodness of their hearts. Unless they can see some kind of major financial backing for it. I don't think they're going to start doing it spontaneously. Okay. Moving. Please gather up all your pitchforks. I could use a couple volunteers to arm my trebuchet with cupcakes. Yes, anybody who wants to be uh, promoted to lieutenant, please go and see Karen over in the field over there. Because today, Friday, there was an opinion piece that came out on the Huffington Post website. A lot of you out there probably already heard about this. Oh, yes. And are, are intaking of breath and going, oh, crap, they're going to talk about this? Oh, oh yes. hell yes, we, we are. We are going there, and this is where the ragey starts coming in. Uh, one of their columnists wrote a piece called Tough Gals, Do They Still Exist? Basically, the whole article is saying that a whole bunch of women, especially those that blog about cupcakes and knitting and Hello Kitty and and other things, are letting down the feminist side. Because we do not wear leather, uh, spout rock and roll, and probably because I don't own my own Harley and I can't hotwire a car. If you need to search for it, it's written by Peg Aloy, A-L-O-I. And, and before we start, I will, I'll admit, part of me reads this and thinks she's trolling. She's just looking for trouble? Yeah. Like, I think... She like, found it. Yeah. I'm like... Oh, maybe, yeah, she found or it. Or maybe it's because part of me wants to believe that and doesn't want to believe someone would write this. I'm trying to be the bigger person, and I don't want to say something, but <sighs> to be as objective as I can, alternate opinions exist. Basically, okay, in the beginning of the article, she says, Women are girly, again. Don't believe me? The proof is in the blogosphere. Women who blog about cupcakes. Women who blog, okay, rant, about gardening, Hello Kitty, and knitting. And it should be pointed out that each of those words is a link. The one for knitting goes to the yarn harlot. It's like, oh, bitch, you are... You are going for an argument here. You just hit the general of the knitting world. And then she says, In some blogs, like the wonderful Jezebel, keep us on our toes pointing out what a long way we haven't come, baby. Like in this piece on how female superheroes are sexualized. But seriously, cupcakes? What happened to our hard-won badassery? And somehow, this is not compatible with knitting or cupcakes? 
I, I got no words for this. I, I'm seriously, there are no words. Yeah. And then she says, and now that so many women have seemingly retreated from our reign of awesomeness to immerse themselves in the pan- feminine pastimes of yesteryear. Retreated from awesomeness to, to participate in feminine pastimes. Can you all see the problem with this sentence? Yes. I believe you can. It's the person who wrote it. Somehow, it's not fem- it's not a feminist thing to gr- denigrate feminine things. If you somehow if you say feminine things are less worthy than masculine things, you are being misogynistic. And then one of the bits that Maggie highlighted in the what the fuck sort of <laughs> moment is growing vegetables is useful, but so is learning how to shoot a gun, hotwire a car, and manipulate our way into a bomb shelter. Seriously? What kind of apocalypse are we anticipating? Because I did not get the zombie apocalypse notice. Did you get a memo? Yeah, there's another part where she says, do you want to be left behind when the revolution comes? Back to the wall, crippled by your stilettos. Okay, one. I should just list all the problems I have with this. One, what kind of apocalyptic future is she imagining? The zombie apocalypse happens in the December... 2012 Mayan calendar collapse and all women are reverted back to the Stone Age? I don't know. And it's like she's it's like she's making this argument that, or setting up this false argument, I should say, that women should know how to do all this badass stuff because at some point, like, being able to kick, physically kick ass is going to be because a huge skill set and otherwise we are going to fail. Shooting a gun, hot wiring a car, and getting ourselves into a bomb shelter. Okay. I know lots of men that can't do any of those things. Yeah. And then, two, it's like, no, maybe I'd like to see women who, lots of women, and lots of men, who are also trained in conflict resolution, and peacekeeping, and other things, so that there will be no big apocalyptic thing where we need to know how to hotwire cars. You know what? My cousin that went to... Uh, Norway that I told you about? Yeah. That's what her major is. Peace transformation. Awesome. So, you know what? My cousin is badass. And then, of course, like I said, there's the whole, like, one of the major problems is when she's talking about, you know, the knitting bloggers and stuff, when she's just reducing these people to one hobby. Yep. Like, she's reducing an entire person's identity to one hobby. And I mean, when I first saw the article this morning, there were, like, 45 comments. When I took a look at the article before work... Like, five hours later, there were 200 comments. Yeah. There are a lot of comments. Even quite a, There's even a number in there of people who are like, I'm in the army. Yeah. I was in the army. I was in, you know, some branch of the armed forces. You know, I did tours in the Gulf War. Someone else said they did tours in Afghanistan yep. or Iraq. And guess what? They knit. Yeah, they do. <laughs> or they bake. <laughs> And they like it. Yes, they enjoy it. There is no gun held to their heads and a voice in the background saying, go on, pearl ban it. Not to mention, and then I said too, there's the whole, you know, denigration of things that are traditionally feminine. I find that sort of in in a small way mockingly amusing because she doesn't realize that knitting was actually a male occupation. Yeah, a number of people pointed that out in the comments too. It's like when they started, the knitting guilds were all male. Women were not allowed to participate. Yeah. So so females the, have the high art yeah. of knitting was left to men. And it was only in like the 18th, 19th centuries that it became a predominantly female thing and even then throughout that period in more rural areas Shepherds would knit yeah. while they were tending their flocks. Sailors would knit. Wait, do you think they all stopped at a, you know, a Walmart, wherever they ported? 
went off and got more tube socks. <laughs> Sir, can we make port on this island? I hear there's a really good yarn store there. <laughs> I can't get over it. Like, the image she has, she's said in it, and I think it's highlighted in there somewhere, the badass tough girls are the ones who wear leather and spout rock and roll. Yeah. Then she starts getting into, she starts talking about past tough gal role models. Remember our tough gal role models? They were strong, sexy, and took no crap. They wore leather and sang rock and roll. Joan Jett, Grace Jones, Courtney Love. You know what? I don't want to be Courtney Love. Yeah. That's okay. I, I don't. Nah. I'm good not being Courtney Love. I'm good kind of remembering what my own name is in the morning. Yeah. And they said they kicked ass in the movies. Sigourney Weaver and Alien, Sally Field and Norma Ray, Mary Stre- Meryl Streep and Silkwood, Julia Roberts and Aaron Brockovich, which is kind of ironic because Julia Roberts is a knitter. Yeah. They battled movie monsters on TV, Xena, Warrior Princess, and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Okay, the fact that you have to go and bring fictional characters into this. Well, then she gets even more into fictional characters, but even just sticking with this paragraph. Okay, for one thing, like, Xena is awesome, but there's also some of that sexualizing of superheroes thing that she mentioned earlier. Yeah, the and Xena. The itty bitty with the costume. costume. It's like she's a warrior princess. She should probably have more skin covered with stuff that will, you know, repel swords. <laughs> like she's awesome, but you know, the costume just to begin with is kind of yeah. And Buffy, cheerleader? Yeah. Long. And again, a lot of people in the comments said that Buffy can kick ass, but she's also kind of girly. Yeah. She was a cheerleader. In you know, high she school. She wears cute clothes. She wants to date boys. Yeah. She likes dresses and shopping. And if you're a woman and you like masculine stuff or dressing in a masculine way, that's fine. Great. You can do that. Because the whole point of this movement is doing what you want without having that societal pressure to fit into a specific box. <laughs> See, then she gets into media as in, like, television. She says, lately women on TV seem to be all about glamour and acquisition. Cougars, not tigresses. And then she goes in, you know, starts talking a bit about how, you know, there aren't as many good female role models on TV, which, okay, that's an aspect I can agree with, but I'm not sure how that fits in to the rest of the... Like, I think it's a separate argument, really. It should be a separate ar- separate it's argument. a whole other kind of Yeah, arms. I don't know why she's bringing that into the whole... When she mentioned earlier, like, the blogosphere. Yeah. Is she somehow saying the blogosphere? So Social media, I guess. Is... I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, but it's not... Just media, media. But it's not media in the sense of where she's talking about later, where there aren't good female role models, because... You know, most of the TV networks are run by men. A lot of shows are written by men. Female characters tend to get dicked over in a lot of cases. Don't get me started. But that's different where a lot of men are controlling the programming and controlling the characterization of these fictional characters. And some write them badly, some write them really well. When you have social media, that's real people. That Nothing is scripted yeah. there. That's not scripted. It's not decided on by anyone other than the blogger themselves. Like, I don't know how she's mixing those things. I think in that case, it would have been much better for her to use real life examples. Yeah. People. Instead, she goes into talking about new tough gal role models on TV and then mention fictional characters. Like, talking about, you know, one of the main characters from a new series in the States called The Killing, which... 
I know there's there's a, a Danish series, I think, that, that that the American one is based on. I haven't seen either of them. Or mentions uh, Katie Seagal's character from the TV show Sons of Anarchy, which I haven't watched. And then mentions the characters from True Blood. You know what? Everybody on True Blood is tough because they're tortured and twisted on the inside. They carry baggage. Yeah. They carry mental bag, psychological baggage on the inside. Yeah, and it's I, this I don't, wa- don't want to get tough that way. Yeah, and there is a lot of sexuality with that show too. Like, and with with any TV show that she mentions too, there's also the whole thing about like who do they cast for these TV shows? It's always people that are very attractive. I mean, they also could be very act, very good actors. But, you know, mostly the people that make it in Hollywood or people that make it on TV are very attractive people, which goes into setting up sort of an unrealistic... Stereotype, stereotype image. Or image of, you know, yeah. idyllic, idealistic image of what a woman should look like. Okay, this is just... I, I'm just going to spout this off because this is another thing that has just blossomed in my head. Knitter, baker, homemaker, mother and wife, badass, Mrs. Weasley. Oh, hells yeah. I thought of Miss, Mrs. Weasley earlier. Yeah. When I was thinking about this. Can anybody tell me that Mrs. Weasley is not a badass? What what does it take? Okay, we are not condemning or criticizing anybody for tattoos, wearing leather, or riding motorcycles. Power to you, okay? Like I said, if you want to do it, go ahead. What makes you happy? Here's a question. What is a tough girl? Yeah. It, it, It is so wide of a scope. To, to say. It, it is the scope of what all women could be. And I mean, there's so, many, and there's so many different kinds of toughness, too. There's physically tough. There's emotionally tough. There's tough in skills, both in, you know, again, like, physically kick-ass sort of way, or in a survival-y, I can grow my own food, I can, you know, cook over an open fire, I can... We- weather the elements and sleep yeah. outdoors and... Because, I mean, again, looking for examples in TV. Okay, this person would probably conti- consider Starbuck from Battlestar Galactica a tough girl. Because she, you know, she drinks, she smokes, she kicks ass, she flies vipers, she... But, oh my god, is she emotionally extremely screwed up. <laughs> She's, like, possibly, like, one of the most screwed-up people on that show. From a lot of her examples, you have to be emotionally unbalanced to be tough, considered tough. Now, to be objective, I'm doing my best to be objective here, just so that we don't get yelled at by somebody. She does mention two real-life people, Aaron Brockovich, and I think there was another name in there. Of course, she Um, only refers to the movie. She refers to the actresses in the movie, and then, in parentheses, puts, by the way, those last two were... Real oh, people. Meryl Streep and Silkwood. Why don't you say people like Aaron Brockovich, who yeah. the movie was based on? Right. And or not to mention, like, other current... Right. The, that's the other thing, is that people in she's politics. got a ratio of, like, one to, what, eight? One current <laughs> and, you know, flesh and blood breathing person versus two fictional and possibly created by networks, executives. Yeah. The, the ratio is... Highly imbalanced here if you want us to take you seriously. I have a friend from my old high school who right now is in Rwanda. You don't have to look to, uh, to you know, Hollywood blockbusters to find people. No. And I mean, I have, I have people I know through the internet, too, that, okay, maybe they don't, you know, go overseas, you know, or maybe they don't have, you know, the physical skills. But, you know, I know someone who has had basically looked after her parents since she was a teenager. 
because her father has a stroke, had a stroke. Her mother has had problems with mental illness. Eventually, her father died, and she was the one looking after her mother, the one trying to make to make ends meet, to deal with her mother's mental illness and stuff. She is probably the strongest person that I know, and I can think of someone else right now too, another internet friend who again has been through a lot of shit, who took a chance and moved across the country from California to Kentucky because things were not good at home and she decided she needed to try and create a life for herself. And they're probably two of, like, the strongest people that I know. And I know one of them, you know, does know how to handle a gun and does know (laughs) a lot of other tough girl stuff. But, like, I admire them greatly. Way to go, girls. But do they know how to hotwire a car? Maybe not. But, you know, the other, they can also wear high heels and dresses at times. Yeah. I've actually decided that if we get any good visual imagery, like, Karen's trebuchet is going to be throwing cupcakes. Yep. And I'm strongly suggesting sprinkles. Maybe exploding sprinkles. When they land, they go boom. Maybe it should be glitter, because that stuff gets everywhere. Oh. It's impossible to move. It's po- impossible to get rid of. Damn it, you're brilliant. That stuff just turns up everywhere. I'm going to draw all of this. That way you don't do actual, like, physical damage, but you it's just... Psychological damage. Psychological damage by, like, making them still find glitter six weeks later in the carpet and in their clothes. And, and a yarn hair. bombing. Yes. A yarn bombing. A novelty yarn bombing. Yeah. Cover their house in a y- novelty yarn cozy. Hot pink. Yes. <laughs> Hot pink. Glittery, Glittery baby. pink. Oh, and then one of the other things is, this is sort of from the article and sort of from a couple of the comments that I read. Someone had mentioned, you had posted saying, the point of feminism is that we can make a choice. We can decide if we want to do, if we want to knit or we want to do martial arts or if we want to do both. Like, oh, I don't know, you, Maggie. (laughs) (laughs) And by the way, I am now a yellow stripe in Taekwondo. Woo! Which means I am still a cannon fodder. But I, I am not the first to die. But you can still kick my ass. But yeah, so this, but this one commenter was pointing out that yes, this, that is the point. Yeah, of feminism. And someone else commented with the idea that well, it's not a real choice until everything is actually, you know, perfectly equal. Which is okay, dude. Seriously, certain things, you know, certain choices at this moment, maybe not. They're they're not a real choice. Like the choice of of having a family or pursuing a career. Mm-hmm. To some extent, you can do that. There is still that kind of glass ceiling where it becomes hard to gain higher positions when you have a family, either because people don't take you seriously or because they think, you know, or hire you for that position because you have a family. You're not willing to sacrifice your family so you can work 60-hour work weeks. So in some ways... In some ways like that, yeah, okay, maybe there isn't a real choice because you don't have every option equally open to you. In a case like this, because otherwise it sounds like this person is almost saying, like, you can't make a choice because everything is true, is per, isn't perfectly equal, so you're not making a fully informed choice, which just makes it sound like we are too feeble-minded to make a real choice without having society pushing on us that we should be girly. We can't decide to learn to knit. Somebody has brain brainwashed us into wanting to. Yeah. Which, how condescending does that sound? And this sort of stuff, this woman's talking about, you know, in some of the ways, the ways that, you know, how far we, you know, have gained so much with feminism, but we have so much further to go. And doesn't this story just prove that? Because mm. people like y'all... Are posting are still saying stuff like women should not be interested in knitting or typically cupcakes. feminine things. Which like yeah, I just I, I want to bombard this woman's house with cupcakes. Okay, but 
Okay, right. let's take off the ranty panties. <laughs> and we'll get back to the positive. Okay, so everybody take a big breath and let it out. And we actually had a couple things that we had been planning to talk about tonight, which I think we're going to save for next week because they're very non-time sensitive. Yeah. Cravings, covets, and crushes. I'm going to talk about an independent, I guess she's a dyer, Catherine Lowe. And I was just introduced to her yarn last night at knit night. And the, uh, one of the unique things about her yarn is that it comes to you unplied. And the particular makeup that was in this particular order that we were shown was merino silk. And it was, I think, a, a four to one blend. And there were two different, which basically works out. It works out as, in this case, it was an eighty twenty yeah. blend. But and the way she did it, they came completely separately, unplied, so that you had two different yarn cakes, as mm-hmm. I like to call them. But the or the unplied threads that were coming off of them, mm-hmm. on the merino side, they were laying parallel to each other and flat, and then you had the one uh, silk ply, and they came off of separate cakes, were knotted together at one end with the designer tag on them. And you basically took that, you did no plying um, intentionally, and on reading her website about why she does this, it is because you put natural twist into the yarn when you knit. Mm-hmm. And everything from, say you've bought yarn at a store, and it's in its usual skein hank, you take it out, you unravel it, you've now just adjusted the twist in it. You put it on your twist to yeah. rewind into a yarn cake. You've just adjusted it again. You now pull from either the outside or the inside. You've just adjusted it again. Yeah. And all of this affects your gauge positively or negatively mm-hmm. with ease. This technique of hers of giving you the yarn unplied and having you ply it yourself in the form of your actual stitches negates all of that so that you have a consistent gauge. And I will admit, and Karen can vouch for this, we fondled the little bit of a swatch that was knit up by our friend Michelle. All three of us fondled it. It has fantastic drape. Mm -hmm. It's very soft and beautiful. The other thing is that if you order, I'm going to, um, 900 yards for a sweater, Mm -hmm. she will give you the 900 yards uninterrupted. It's not multiple skeins of 100 or 200 yards. It is one, one cake, one cake of 900 yards because it comes in a cake and two, because then you can create your own blends too. Yeah. Because you can order so much silk or so much wool or so much alpaca or whatever. I've been to her website. And, and you, you can just choose. hold the strands together. You can choose. You can go 50-50. You can go, you know, 40-60. And you can make triple mixes. But yes, yeah, so you can create your own sort of blends. And it basically is just dependent on how many strands you have that you're holding at the time. The only thing I could see is, of course, because it's separate strands, it might take a little more. It's going to be a little bit fiddly. Yeah, because, of course, it will be very splitty. Yeah. So it might take a little more work just to make sure you're catching all the strands. So basically the uh, the lesson for this is choose something with a simple pattern. Yeah. I don't know how if you want to go with a terribly complicated pattern. Yeah. I would think, too, it would should, it'd be easy to change the weight of yarn that you're doing, because then you just few, do fewer strands. Do you have anything? I just have one little thing. I got a package today. And one of the things that was in it, I got these 
there's these beautiful wooden needles. This is from a, a shop called Fabulous Yarn in New York State. I'll have the address in the show notes. I got a pair of straight needles, which are... We call them wands. Yes, for obvious reasons. And that's part of the reason I ordered them. They're called Serena Fine Wood Knitting Needles. And they are straight wooden needles, and they have these beautifully turned ends. Like, if anyone has seen the Brittany crochet hooks... yeah. They have, like, beautifully turned ends. They used to have knitting needles with fancy turned ends yeah. on them. I have a pair from when they used to. That is the pair where my sister-in-law sat. Oh, sad. So the other one is my wand. I have actually used it whenever I've dressed up as a Harry Potter character for Halloween. Yeah, these look like the tur- turned finials of a, yeah. like a colonial chair or table. Yeah, and the wood is very soft and smooth. And But yeah, I partly got them because... Swish the, and flick. Yes, when I took them out, when I got the... As soon as I opened the package today, I took them out and I did Wingardium Leviosa. But... The thing in this package that I especially wanted, which I've wanted for quite a while, other people who listen are probably familiar with Rosemary Hill, who does designs by Romy. She recently did the an ebook of Seven Small Shawls, and she also does beautiful shawl pins, mostly metal. And she has all kinds of different designs, and I've wanted one of her shawl pins for quite a while, but a few months ago, she did one that is the at symbol. Like, you know, in an email address, at gmail.com or whatever, it's a shawl pin of the at symbol. She's it's holding awesome. it right now. Yeah, <laughs> Geek points. She, did it, she said she decided to do it sort of in honor of the Museum of Modern Art in New York, sort of inducting the at symbol into its design collection because of its simplicity, its use in the modern world. Yep. I love it. <laughs> It's beautiful. I got a brush nickel one. She has lovely sterling silver ones yeah. as well. And she has, there's really cute ones that are like little sheep. She's got two different kinds of closures. One of them is just a straight stick that's separate from yeah. the pin. This one, the stick is actually attached to the pin itself. It's a turn swivel Yeah. One of the mechanism. One of the ends of the stick is actually wrapped around the outside of the at. And basically what you do is you can move the stick around, the curve of the at. So you can move it around so that one end sticking out the open end. Right. You stick it through the lacy thing. We'll make sure that uh, Karen is wearing the stole and the pin tonight. Yeah, we'll get a photo we of the pin. Pictures. And then you just turn the, the symbol part of it until the end of the stick is sort of latched over the side of the symbol. That's an it's old hard to... um, Celtic mechanism. Yeah, so actually we just looked it up and it's called a penannular brooch or it's a lot like a lot of Celtic brooches where again you have an almost complete circle and you have a little gap in between and then you have a stick which is attached to that circular edge and that you can move around. Here's an idea for everybody out there listening. If you were given a couple of hundred dollars and told to go out and buy the most beautiful tool you would buy. Yeah, tool or accessory. Yeah, because really? we, could, we could blow a couple hundred dollars on yarn, no problem. Oh yeah, well, I know my answer. What's your answer? You were just looking up the Celtic Swan Forge <laughs> website. <laughs> Which, oh my god, I was gonna say that die for some of their sterling silver needles that have like the, the swirl, t- the swirl oh. through the needle. Oh, I would love those. And they have je- some of them have gemstones in the in the heads. Ooh, yes. Second to that would probably be like signature needles, which are nowhere near as expensive as the other no. ones. But because the other ones are hand forged. Yeah, I should we- mention like you know there's a good reason they are expensive. 
So I'm talking like couple hundred dollars, no holds barred. What is the most beautiful? It's kind of like a Galadriel came down and brought you the Holy Elven, you know, knitting needles from on high. Oh, I would love a shawl pin that looked like the leaf pin. Oh, they have from... them. I know they have ones like that. I would like one. I know I've seen pins like it. I don't know if I've seen like shawl a shawl pin. pin, which doesn't have a pointy end, or which has, you know, a closure. Which a proper closure. Better. Yeah, which works better with that. <laughs> I'd be walking around with my with my shawls closed with a Lothlorien leaf pin. I would have to knit a cape just so I could close it with that. <laughs> and be like, I will have it! So I guess on a final note... We will find a few things next week that aren't making us rant. Yeah. <laughs> we've, we've had two episodes now that are, that are the ranties. Yeah. Well, we've had a couple, a few episodes where we've had the epic squeeze, too. That is true. Okay, so we've balanced <laughs> And everything out. has been wonderful and awesome and amazing. <laughs> I know because occasionally I've had to epic edit out the awesomes because we were saying them every third word. But that's the life of a geek. There are highs and there are lows. Yes, there are. Okay, people. Well, we feel things passionately. Yes. So please continue to send us your ideas in the Ravelry thread. We do actually really like to read your comments and suggestions. Let us know what your dream knitting, crochet, or spinning, or fiberista type of accoutrement would be. So geek on, have fun, be good or don't, and send us the pictures. Have a good week, guys. Bye-bye. Now where's my cupcake? <laughs> I might just leave that in. Thanks for listening. You can find our show notes and comment at our blog at knit1geek2.emptypockets.org. That's K-N-I-T-1 G-E-E-K 2 dot M-T dash P-O-C-K-E-T-S dot O-R-G. Or you can email us at knit1geek2 at gmail.com. You can also join in the conversation at our Ravelry group. Just search for Knit1Geek2 in the Groups tab. Thanks, and have a good week.